This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Get your Bibles ready, turn if you would to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 9 tonight. We've been in a, a mini-series called Vanity as we take a look at the uh, transforming truth from the book of Ecclesiastes. And, uh, I call it a mini-series because we're not going verse by verse through the whole book. That would take a while, but it's a solid book and it would be a, a great study for us to do. We're just kind of hitting the high points as we go through this. Um, We've got about two more weeks uh, in Ecclesiastes, and then we're planning uh, in April to head to the book of James. I'm really excited about that, and so uh, be ready for that. If you want to get ahead, uh, you can read through the book of James. If you've never read it before, it'll knock your socks off. Uh, if you've never read through the book of Ecclesiastes all the way, I'd encourage you to read through the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a good, uh, solid read as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is where we find ourselves tonight. Uh, just three verses, uh, verses, actually four verses, verses 7 through 10 tonight. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse number 7. Just by way of, uh, of introduction here to what we're going to take a look at tonight, we believe the book of Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. Uh, Solomon would be the wisest man to ever live aside from Jesus Christ himself. And so Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. If you've never read the book of Proverbs, you've got to read that. Uh, so much wisdom there. Uh, if you imagine the smartest man to ever live outside of Jesus writing a book to his boys, that's the book of Proverbs. Uh, and then um, an older, wiser man looking back at his life and determining what's important. That's the book of Ecclesiastes, also written by Solomon as well. A lot of good wisdom that we find in this book. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, uh, verse number 7. Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garment be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life. And in thy labor which thou takest under the sun, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there's no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Interesting passage of scripture here. Again, these uh, four verses here. He starts off by saying, hey, enjoy life as much as you can, which almost seems to be contrary to the message of the Bible. Uh, Jesus says, any man who seeks to save his own life will lose it, and he who gives up his life for his sake, Jesus' sake, will gain it. And so the idea that enjoying life is a good thing seems to be contrary to the message of the Bible. We'll unpack that thought here in just a moment here as well. And he goes on to say, whatever your hand finds to do, do it and do it with everything that you have. As we look at this passage of scripture, first of all, I want you to see that it's not a sin to enjoy life. So many times we get this idea that we shouldn't be attached to anything in this world. We shouldn't get attached to what this life has to offer. The Bible says that it's not a sin to enjoy the things of this life. Uh, my wife had an opportunity to teach the ladies uh, last Wednesday night and they talked about idolatry. And I got a chance to peek at my wife's notes and they were probably better than the notes that I talked to the guys. uh, I didn't steal them, uh, but I I peeked at her notes and she had some good stuff to say about idolatry. And many times idolatry is when we take a good thing and we make it a God thing. 
That, that becomes a problem when maybe God gives us a spouse or God gives us children or God gives us a, a good job that we can enjoy, but we don't use it for what God intended it to be. We make it something greater than God. That becomes a problem and that becomes idolatry. But it's not a sin to enjoy the things that God's given us. God wants us to enjoy life. And uh, throughout church history, some uh, theologians have thought the idea that the more miserable that we are, the closer that we'll be to God. And that, uh, uh, again, that works out to a very unhealthy level. Uh, sometimes you find uh, folks in the uh, older days of church history who would flagellate themselves and hit themselves with whips for the purpose of uh, becoming so humble and so low uh, that they would be closer to God. I'm thankful I don't have to whip myself and hurt myself to be close to God. Um, that's not the idea at all. God wants wants us to enjoy life, but God puts some caveats on that as well. It's also not a sin to have nice things. If you take a look at the Old Testament, Abraham was probably one of the wealthiest men to ever live at that given time. And so it's not a sin for you to have nice things. The problem comes when my heart becomes attached to those things or my desire or my goal in life is to have nice things. That becomes a problem at that point. But God had actually given Solomon, Solomon was one of the richest men to ever live in the history of mankind up to this point, and Solomon would even go far, so far as to tell you if he wanted anything, he just bought it. If he wanted to throw a party, he threw a party. If he wanted to have singers at his party, he'd have singers at his party. If he wanted to have uh, a meal, man, he would order to kill the fatted calf if he wanted to, and he would have a barbecue. He didn't care. Whatever he wanted, he had it. But he would also tell you that at the end of the day, none of those things really mattered to him but it's not a sin to have nice things. It's okay to enjoy the blessings that come from God's reward of our work. If you work hard and God has provided for you, God wants you to enjoy the fruits of your labor. That's the, the point of this passage here, that if you work hard and God provides blessings for you, don't be ashamed of the blessings of God. Now again, if you, if you look at this from the wrong perspective or you take this idea out of context, you get a wrong idea of what the Bible says here. But I want to tell you this, that God blesses people and we shouldn't look at people's blessings that they have as anything sinful. Hey, if you've worked hard and you've honored the Lord with your life and you have a nice house, I'm thankful for your nice house. I hope that you'll use it for the glory of God. If you've worked hard and God's provided a nice car for you, you've got no problems with the type of car that you drive as long as it doesn't become an idol, as long as you can use it to the glory of God. God's given you a wife. I hope that you'll love your wife and cherish her and take good care of her and enjoy your wife to the glory of God and love her and serve her. But don't let that become an idol in your life. If God's given you a good job that you enjoy or maybe promoted you to a position of status, I hope that you'll use that status as a platform to tell other people about Jesus and it's not wrong to have those things. Sometimes people look at people who have nice things or maybe even material blessings and we look and say, well, they must not be spiritual or uh, they must be doing something wrong or maybe they're not doing things God's way. And this passage of scripture tells us that we should enjoy the blessings that God gives to us. But here's the problem. We run into problems when our purpose in life is to enjoy life and to have nice things. When our purpose in life is to have nice things, that's where we really run into problems. I think we got our slides messed up a little bit there. Sorry about that, Daryl. Uh, so you can write this down. I don't know if we have slides for it or not, but you can write it down even if we don't. We run into problems when our purpose in life is to enjoy life and to have nice things. I talked to the guys on Wednesday night about our purpose and our priorities. 
And look, if you are chasing nice things, you're chasing material wealth, you're chasing status, you're chasing creature comforts, you're chasing a higher standard of living, and that becomes your purpose, we've missed the mark. We've missed the boat. We want to pursue Jesus Christ. We want to pursue God's glory. And if the side benefit of the putting God first and putting in an honest day's worth of work is material blessings, we'll receive those and we'll thank God for them and we'll use them well. But friend, I'm telling you, if you're chasing money, status, material wealth, material possessions, and you think that will bring you the lasting fulfillment that your soul craves, you'll be greatly disappointed. I've known people who their entire life, all they wanted was children, and then God finally blessed them with a child only to find out that that didn't fix all the problems that they thought that they were gonna have. I know people who have desired to be married and wanted it so badly that they felt like, oh, if I could just get married, then, then, then I would have everything that I want in life only to find out that that marriage didn't scratch the itch the way that they wanted it to because they had the wrong purpose and the wrong priorities. I want to love Jesus. I want to serve Jesus. I want to live my life to God's glory. And if I get any side benefits of that, they're just that side benefits. It's kind of icing on the cake instead of it being the cake. The cake is Jesus, simple as that. It's important to understand that all blessings that we have come from God. If you have something good in your life, it's because God gave it to you. The blessings that we have in life come from God. The Bible says in the book of James that every good and every perfect gift cometh from above, from a Father of lights in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. If there's anything good in your life that you have, know God gave it to you. Regardless of what that is. If you had a good meal for lunch today. I had a good meal for lunch today. And you know what? God gave it to me. God provided that for me. I have an incredible church family. I've been in church my entire life, and this is the best church I've ever been in in my entire life, and it's not because I'm the pastor, because of the phenomenal people that call this place their church home. I'm blessed. You know where I got that? I got that from the Lord. I have a car that gets me from point A to point B that I often sometimes loan to other people to use. You know why? Because it's not my car. It belongs to the Lord. He gave it to me. You say, well, did God give you a car? Yeah, I paid money for it with money that God had given me. So it really is God's anyways. Everything that I have comes from him. Any blessing that I have comes from the Lord. But here's the key with that. God's blessings should be stewarded. The word steward means to manage appropriately. The word steward isn't a word that we typically use in our, our vernacular today. It means to manage on behalf of someone else. So really, the blessings that I have don't belong to me. They actually belong to God. I just manage them for him. I had the opportunity to uh, attend a change of command ceremony this past week um, at uh, the 19th Fighter Squadron. One of our men took over as the uh, squadron commander for that really exciting uh, ceremony. But the guy that he was taking over from, the guy got up and he said, uh, something, something, uh, we want to make sure that we steward this well. I thought immediately, that's not a word that non-Christians use. But we as Christians should understand the concept of stewardship. I own nothing, everything belongs to God. I just get to manage it on his behalf. And so we need to understand that while we are free to enjoy the blessings that God's given us, they don't belong to us, they're actually God's. I really enjoyed our time of our home fellowship uh, last uh, Sunday night. We had uh, probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 folks in our home uh, last Sunday night. I absolutely loved it. And I, we love having people in our home because our home doesn't really belong to us. Actually, God gave that home to us. 
And we want to make sure that we manage it well. I've known people before who say, oh, 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 my home is my castle. Nobody's allowed in there. You don't understand stewardship then because whatever you have, God gave to you to be used for his kingdom. So again, we're owners of nothing. We steward everything. Uh, my, my kids don't actually belong to me. They actually belong to God. He gave them to me. I just have to manage them well. And the thing with stewardship too is there's gonna come a point where you have to give it back to the person who owns it. There's coming a day when I gotta give my kids back to the Lord and they belong to him. I just have to make sure that I'm managing it well. My marriage, my wife doesn't belong to me. She actually belongs to God. I just have to steward her well and manage her well in a way that would please the owner. So we have to look at life not from what we've got. And you might even be sitting here saying, well, the things that I've gotten, I've gotten out of hard work and blood, sweat, and tears and my own uh, hard-earned money. Just know this, every dollar that you've ever owned in your life, God gave to you. The ability to do any skill that anyone would pay you to do came from the Lord. Anything that you have to offer to anyone in this world came from God himself, and we need to steward it well. God's blessing should not only be stewarded, but also invested I need to make sure that what God's blessed me with, I have the opportunity to share with others as well. It's important to understand that we can either spend our resources or we can invest our resources. And I wanna make sure that I'm, that I'm investing God's resources as well. I spent some time with a, a man on uh, Wednesday night talking to him about what it means to be a real Christian man. And some areas where he needs to grow in maturity some areas where he needs to take a step up. At the end of our conversation, he said, hey, pastor, thanks for spending time with me. And I said, I wanna stop you for just a second. I don't spend time anymore. I can't afford it. Uh, I'm I'm still a young man, uh, but uh, I realize my years are finite on this earth and I don't have a lot of time left and I don't go around willy-nilly just spending my time. I invest my time. You know what the difference is? When you spend... You put it out and you don't care what, it, what you get back. When you invest, you put in something with the expectation you're gonna receive something back from it. That what you're putting in is actually going to grow and then bring forth something better from it. I don't have time to spend my time with people. I only have time to invest my time. And at what point I realized that my time is a poor investment in someone, I'm gonna have to stop and move on to someone else because I have to steward my time, I have to steward my energy, steward my resources, and I wanna invest wisely. And look, if you're a guy who wants to love Jesus and walk with him, I got all the time in the world for you. But the second I realize that you just need somebody to hang out with and just talk shop with and you have no desire to follow the Lord, I don't have time for that. I gotta invest my time in people that love Jesus and wanna walk with him. And sometimes people look at that and they say, well, that's really harsh, Pastor. You shouldn't have that mindset. Here's what Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, 2. The things that you've heard and seen in me, commit to faithful men who can teach others also. I want you to pour into faithful guys so that those faithful guys can then pour into other faithful guys too. And all you have to do is read through the gospels and find out what Jesus did with people who didn't wanna hear what he had to say didn't want to follow after him, didn't want to follow the guidance and shepherding that he provided. He left them and he moved on to somebody else that did. So again, we have to take the things that God's given us and invest them wisely. And this will lead us to a life of gratitude. 
Again, when I realize that God's given me everything and God's blessed me with everything that I have, my heart is gratitude. The problem comes when I feel like I'm owed something. Well, God owes me something or my employer owes me something or I deserve better than this. Entitlement only leads to ingratitude because I feel like I'm owed something. The idea that someone owes me something now creates an awkward relationship with that person. And here's where marriages begin to deteriorate when people feel like, well, my spouse owes me this. Mm, Careful with that. Sometimes people will even go so far as to say, well, I don't believe that God's being fair with this. Trust me, you don't want God to be fair. You want God to be gracious and merciful in your life. You don't want to get what you deserve from God. All of us have broken God's law and deserve God's judgment for our sin. All of us deserve to go to hell when we die because we've broken God's law. But God is gracious, he's merciful, he's loving, he's compassionate, so he sent his son to die on the cross to pay for your sins and mine so that we don't have to go to hell, so we don't have to live separated from God forever. And God has been gracious to you, he's been merciful by sending his son to die on the cross for your sins. Friend, you need to know for sure that you're saved because when you realize that you did not deserve heaven but you deserved hell, it'll lead to a life of gratitude. When you realize that you don't really, you aren't owed anything but you owe everything, it leads to a life of gratitude. When you realize where you should be as opposed to where you are, it leads to a life of gratitude. I haven't traveled a lot uh, worldwide, but I have traveled to a couple of foreign countries and it gives you a heart of gratitude. Had the opportunity uh, last spring, almost a year ago, to travel to uh, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And I'm telling you what, gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Not, and, and again, anyone can look at a, a, a country like that and see deep poverty. Anyone can look at a country like that and see immediately poor living conditions. But when you go to a country there and you hear over the loudspeakers the call to prayer and you see people begin walking by the hundreds to pray to a false God that cannot hear them, it does something to your heart that you say, praise God, that's not me. Praise God that I'm not changed my entire lifestyle to follow a God that cannot hear, a God that cannot save. It grieves me sometimes that people are more committed to a false religion than many Christians are to the true God of the Bible. But it creates in me a heart of gratitude. But to go to a country which is a Muslim country and to open the scriptures and begin to tell people about what Jesus Christ has done for them and for them to sit on the edge of their seat ready to hear preaching from God's word. To go to, a, I had the opportunity to preach at a Tuesday night Bible study and I spoke to a group of people that not one single solitary person there spoke English and we had a translator that didn't really speak a lot of English either. And they sat for, on a Tuesday night until almost 11 o'clock at night, just so eager to hear preaching, so eager to hear preaching. <laughs> we, we walked in uh, to the uh, the venue, we got stuck in traffic. We were running a little bit late and we got there and they'd already started uh, singing and things like that. And I walked up to the front and I mean, 
people turned around and they were like elbowing each other and pointing and stuff like that as I pointed at me and I was just like this is awkward this is really weird <laughs> and then at the end of the, the service I'm talking with some folks and through a translator they say um, can these people get their picture made with you and I was like yeah sure and so I'm getting my picture made with all these people and they're like looking at me and like smiling really big and stuff like that and I said is everything okay and they go yeah a lot of these people have never seen a, a white person before I thought, wow, all right. You picked a good one to break them in on, huh? Good grief. And so, uh, but they were so hungry for the word, like they'd never heard it before. And I thought to myself, we are so spoiled, so spoiled. There have been people who have left our church before because they say, you preach too long. Okay, that's fine. Uh, If that's uh, the worst thing in the world that I do, that's okay. But I thought to myself, I think to myself, times like that, People so hungry for the, the word that we get too much of it. It's just like, ah, too much. I need to find something shorter. We need to understand how blessed we are to leave, lead to a life of gratitude. And then again, you take a look at the, the poverty of a situation like that. I've traveled to El Salvador before. And in El Salvador, many of the, even the, the city buses that they have there will have crosses on them and, and statements that say Jesus saves and stuff like that. And you look and you go, wow. Praise God for a place where Jesus' name is so bold and people can proclaim that Jesus Christ saves. And then on the other side of the bus is a picture of the rosary and the Virgin Mary on it. You're like, oh, wait a minute. I don't think they're talking about the same Jesus that I am. And you look and you say, wow, they're so steeped in false religion there. There's an idea of who God is. I think of uh, how the Bible says they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. They don't really understand the God of the Bible and the Jesus of the Bible. They only see it through the lens of religion. And you look and you say, praise God that I have God's word and can see it for what it is. It leads to a life of gratitude. And then we want to gripe and complain because we're using an iPhone that's two generations old or our screen on our super smartphone got busted or something like that. It's just like, wait a minute, heart of gratitude. If I remember where I came from to where I am now, I want to be thankful and grateful. I love verse number 10, though, because it says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. God has ordained our work, so we should do it well. Work is a gift from God. It shouldn't be looked at as something that we need to avoid or get around. Work is, uh, was never really intended by God in his original design for mankind. God had actually created man to walk and talk with him in the Garden of Eden. But when God said, don't eat of this tree and man chose to eat of it and broke our relationship with God and created our sin nature, we rebelled against God. Part of God's curse was this. For the rest of your life, you will eat by the sweat of your brow. You're gonna work until the day that you die. This is your curse. This is your lot in life. But it's interesting as we progress through biblical history and we find ourselves now in the book of Ecclesiastes, we actually see work as something that God can actually bless, something that God expects us to do and do well. It's no longer, it is a curse the way that God intended it to be, but we're actually able to take that curse and still show God's goodness and God's glory. Work is God's way of actually blessing us. So if you have a job, do it and do it well. Christians should be the best workers at your workplace because we serve a higher master. You say, well, my boss is a jerk. Your boss isn't your boss. 
God is your boss. You don't work for your immediate supervisor. You work for the Lord. The Bible tells us that in the book of Ephesians, that our masters are not our bosses or our direct supervisors. Our master is the Lord himself. And so we work as unto the Lord. Work is God's way of providing for us. The Bible says in the book of 1 Thessalonians, if a man doesn't work, he probably shouldn't eat either because work is God's way of providing for our financial needs that we have. But I want you to see work is something a little bit differently. Work is our opportunity to glorify God. Work isn't a curse. Work isn't something we should dread. Work is my opportunity to show how great my God is. And if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. You know why? Because I'm a person of honor, integrity, character. I want to do the right thing. I want to do my work in such a way that glorifies God. I was talking to one of our men today. He works in sales. And he said, sometimes I come across people who really want to buy something and they don't really need it. And he goes, and anybody else would sell it to him? He said, but I have to pull him to the side and said, hey, you don't really need this. <laughs> don't do this. Some people, if they're going to buy it, they're going to buy it. So I'll sell it to them anyways. He said, but I want to do the right thing. And I love that spirit. You know why? Because the work that I do, I want to glorify God. I want to be honest. I want to be upright. I want to be a person of character. I want to be a person of integrity. Work is our way of mirroring God's faithfulness. God is faithful. God is a person of his word. God is a person who when make, he makes a promise, he keeps it. And so I get to mirror God's faithfulness in my work that I do. Have you ever known somebody before who you say, well, I'm waiting on that report from John. And he said, I'd have it by five o'clock. And they say, well, if John said it'd be there by five o'clock, I'll have it by five o'clock. Because he guarantee he's a guy that gets stuff done. I want to be a guy like that. Hey, if he said he's going to be here, he's going to be here. Well, he's running late. Well, if he's late, something bad happened because he's never late. He's always a person of his word. I want to be that kind of guy. I want to be a person that's trustworthy, that just like God, when he says it, he'll do it. I want to say about me, he said it, he'll do it. Not because, again, I want people to pat me on the back, but because I want people to know a God who is good to his word. And whatever God promises, he does it. And our work that we do is our opportunity to mirror God's faithfulness as well. Our work is worship. If God has given me a job to do, I want to do it and do it well because the way that I do it is a way that I say God is worthy. And our work is worship. And you might say, well, pastor, you don't know the kind of work that I do. It's not really worship. You misunderstood everything that we're talking about then. Because whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. My wife's job for the last 20 plus years, stay home mom. And anybody who doesn't want to say that's a job, hey, fight me, seriously. Job. She doesn't get paid. She's never received a paycheck for it. Uh, praise the Lord, we don't have to pay taxes on the work that she does. Uh, but um, just know they're going to try to find a way to tax that, I'm sure. Um, but um, it's work, man. It is work. And you know what? The way that she does it, she does it well. 
because she wants to honor the Lord. You know, the Bible talks about how a godly woman should act, and she wants to be that way. You know why? Because it's a worship unto the Lord, because she believes that the gift that God's given her, the work that God's given her, is worthy of her best effort. And she'd be the first one to tell you she's not a perfect mom, she's not a perfect wife. But she sees that as a job that's worthy of her best effort, not only because it's something good that she gets out of, but it's her worship unto God. And so whatever job you do, do it well because it points people to God. I've said before, I don't really care the type of work that my children do. It doesn't matter to me at all. If they want to go to school to be an attorney, they want to be a doctor, they want to be a neurosurgeon, I'm okay with that. Hey, you want to drive a garbage truck? I got no problem with that. You want to be a lifetime barista at Starbucks? I got no problem with that either. You know what I want you to do? I want you to love Jesus with every fiber of your being and do the work that you do and be the best at it because that's what God expects of us. I don't care what college my kids get into. I don't care if my kids go to college. I want you to love Jesus and whatever you do, do it the best that you can do. Why? Because that honors the Lord. Our work is our worship. Our work is also our witness. Just know this. If you're a, a slug at work, if you're the one that people say, oh yeah, Anthony's on your team, and they roll their eyes and are like, great. If you're the one that says, oh, Anthony will get that report to you by five o'clock, and they're like, yeah, five o'clock next Friday maybe. If that's you, just know that when it comes time for you to say, hey, I'd love to invite you to our Easter services coming up in a few weeks, people are gonna be like, yeah, right. You go to church? Yeah. Give me your pastor's number. I'd love to have a talk with him. You know why? Because our work is our witness. If you're a person who lacks character and integrity, nobody wants to hear what you think about Jesus. Nobody. If you're a person who can't be good to your word, who does halfway effort, who does just enough to get by, who does below the minimum requirements, know this, that hurts your Christian testimony and it damages your witness. So I want to do my work well, so that when I say, hey, I'd love to invite you to my church service, people go, oh, you're a Christian. Yeah, I should have figured that because of the way that you carry yourself, the way that you work, the way that you talk in the workplace, the way that you treat others. I would have figured you to be a Christian. That helps our testimony. I'm talking about authentic Christian living so that the way that I carry myself, the words that I use, the conversations that I have, the way that I behave around other people points people to Jesus because our work is a witness. Final thoughts here tonight. God has ordained also our service to him, so do it well. This passage here isn't just about the vocation that you've chosen and how you act in the workplace. It says whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. And it says this, there's no work once you die. And we might look at that and go, oh, praise God, no work when I die. Can't wait to die. <laughs> no, it's, what it's also saying is you get a brief window of opportunity to serve Jesus with your life. And when you die, you don't get to serve him anymore, ever. All you get to do is worship. And what a day that's going to be when we get to see Jesus Christ and worship at his throne together. 
We're going to have a hooey call a get-together in heaven one day, I bet. We're going to have a hooey call a choir that's singing in the throne room together. I don't know how it's all going to work out. I know this, no more service to Jesus then. But until then, I got work to do. I got work I can do. I got people that I know that need to know Jesus. I got people that I know that need to follow Jesus. I got people that I know that need to find the satisfaction that I found in Jesus. And so I got a lot of work to do. And I want to do it well. I mean, serve him with your whole heart. Serve Jesus with every fiber of your being, whole heart. And you say, well, I don't really have a job to do. Then you don't understand Christianity. Christianity is all about serving Jesus by serving others. The way that I treat others, the way that I act towards others, the words that I say towards others, that's all about serving Jesus. You know, sometimes we think like, serving Jesus, well, nobody's ever asked me to pray for the offering. <laughs> Praying for the offering is not serving Jesus. Serving Jesus is what you do tomorrow morning when you wake up at, and go to work at 8 a.m., when you go to school, the people that you see, the people you interact with, that's serving Jesus. Having a word of kindness for someone who's struggling, that's the work of Jesus. Seeing someone who's in a rough spot and putting your arm around and say, hey, how can I pray for you this week? That's the work of Jesus. Seeing someone who is in need and being able to help them and meet that need, that's the heart of Jesus. Just know this, friends, there's gonna be some folks in our church over the next six to 12 weeks who are either gonna have their hours cut, will be laid off from their job, will take reduced pay, and we need to be ready to say, hey, can I bring you a couple of bags of groceries? Hey, can I give you $100 to go towards your bills this month? You know what that is? That's the work of Jesus. The work of Jesus is not just like, whew, heard things are tough, maybe I'll pray for you. No, no, no. I'm talking about action. And if you have those blessings that God's blessed you with, now we're talking about investment and stewardship, aren't we? If I have a brother or sister in need, man, I want to know about that need so I can help meet that need. Hey, I might not be able to pay your rent this month, but I'm going to be able to help with something. You know why? Because that's what family does. That's what followers of Jesus heart. Talk about serving with joy. Serve Jesus because I have to. I get to serve Jesus because I love it. Serving Jesus isn't a drag. It's not a bummer. I don't look at serving Jesus as like, oh, I have to give up all of these things to serve him or to follow him. No, 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 I love it. And just know this, any true follower of Jesus would tell you they've never given up a single solitary thing in their life that they haven't gained back tenfold in some other area. Sometimes people think, well, if I follow Jesus, I gotta give up my friends. If I follow Jesus, I gotta give up drinking. If I follow Jesus, I gotta give up looking at porn. If I follow Jesus, I gotta give up being sexually inappropriate. Hey, you, do those things provide any sense of fulfillment in your life? Do you have any satisfaction that comes from that? Then giving up those things to gain what your heart craves? Oh, you're not giving up anything at all. That's why serving Jesus isn't a drag, it's a joy, it's a delight. It's the best thing I've ever done in my life. You say, well, that's easy because you're a pastor. No, 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 before I was a pastor, I served Jesus and it was the best thing I'd ever done in my life. And understand this, 
Whatever you do for work to put money in your bank account, that's not your job. Your job is serving Jesus. And your whatever you do to put money in your bank account, that's a means to an end to help you to serve Jesus. That's it. So many times people find their identity in the work that they do. And, and sometimes we can feed that sometimes when we, when we meet somebody new. Hey, what's your name? Oh, well, you know, where, where are you from originally? What kind of work do you do? And then we kind of wear that as a badge of honor. This is the work that I do. When God says whatever work you do is a means to an end because your end job is to serve him. And don't do it with a crummy attitude. Do it with joy. Finally, serve with excellence. We want to do things and we want to do things well because God does things excellently. God doesn't do things halfway. God doesn't leave things undone. God doesn't leave things messed up. God does things and he does them well. And so what we do, we're gonna do with all of our might and we're gonna do it well. I can't tell you how many times in the last six and a half years we've reprinted 100 plus bulletins because there was a typo in it. Can't tell you, way too many. I can't tell you how many times I was in such a hurry to get a new track printed for Easter or Christmas that I didn't have time to have somebody proofread it for me that we got it in and it was a mess and we threw them all away and ordered new ones because it had a typo. But you know what? We're not just gonna take a Sharpie and cross out that one letter that was wrong and just continue to pass them out. No, no, God expects more from us. God expects excellence. We wanna do things, we wanna do things well. We'll make sure that our facilities are clean. We'll make sure that everything's sanitized and disinfected. We'll make sure that everything's straight. That if there's a black mark on a, a wall somewhere, we're gonna paint that before next Sunday. We'll make sure that we do things with excellence. As a church, our printed materials, we want them to look nice, we want them to look professional. We don't, don't want people to be embarrassed to hand out our invitations. Somebody sent me an envelope a few weeks ago with uh, free gospel tracts. Man, I love free gospel tracts. I love the gospel, man. <laughs> These things were so embarrassing, I wouldn't hand them out to another Christian, much less an unbeliever. They were printed on crummy paper. The ink was, was smearing on them. They were double printed, most of them, and stuff like that. I go, ooh, it's a terrible representation of Christ. And I threw them away. Sorry. You say, well, well, that's vain. That's the vanity that we're talking about here. Hey, look, just know this. I don't know a lot. I don't have a degree in marketing or anything like that. Here's what I do know. The society that we live in today lives in a society where things are highly polished and look outstanding. And they've automatically associated polished and looking good with excellence and quality. Are Apple computers the best computers on the market? No, we've been, con we've been conditioned to believe that because they're in beautiful white packaging and you take it off and you go, oh, wow, that this is a quality machine. Believe it or not, their specs are very far behind what is currently the, the latest performance. But we believe that it looks good and so it must be good. That's the society we live in today. And so we as a church want to Understand that what we put out is perceived a certain way. And so we want to put out high-quality materials. But we don't want to be all show and no go. 
And so we want to make sure that whatever we put out is backed up by some solid Bible teaching. I want to make sure that the life that you live is backed up with a solid work ethic and the work that you do is done well to the glory of God and behind that is backed up a solid Christian testimony that the work that we do is done to glorify our Heavenly Father. Don't be all show and no go, but at the same time, don't be no show and no go either. I want to make sure that what we do glorifies God in every way. So, I ask you this. Does the way that you live your life glorify God? Does the way that you do your work, do you do it well to the glory of God or are you just kind of riding it out, punching a clock, collecting a paycheck? Does the work that you do classify as worship to a holy God? Does the work that you do provide a greater witness for the God we say that we believe in? Or are you just phoning it in? Are you doing a halfway job? The Bible says whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it well, do it with excellence because here's the thing, there's coming a day where you're no longer gonna have the opportunity to work. There's coming a day where you and I no longer have the opportunity to serve Jesus. So let's do it and do it well in the meantime. I think it was a missionary once said, We'll have all of eternity to celebrate the victories of this life, but only a short time to win them. I like that idea. Hey, when we get to heaven one day, we can high five. Hey, we can even hug and handshake in heaven because the coronavirus is gone. We'll have all of eternity to celebrate all the great things that God did, but we've only got a brief window of time to actually win those victories. Let's get out and get her done. You say, well, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do. Great, this week is reach month. I'm sorry, this month is reach month, the month of March. Find another person that doesn't know Jesus, spend time with them, share your faith. Pass out an invitation to church, give them a book called Paid in Full, tells them how they can know for sure that they can be saved. Do your part to bring somebody to Jesus. If you're terrified by that, just ask them if they'll come to church with you and give them an invitation, tell them what time. But what if you could take the work that you do to put money in your bank account and use that as an opportunity for a greater witness? What if you could do that as worship unto God? What if you could use the 40, 50 hours a week that you put in towards a vocation and you could use that to point people to Jesus? That would be awesome. That's what the Bible tells us we should do. Most important thing in the world is if you're here tonight, you don't know for sure that you're saved. You're not 100% sure when you die you're going to heaven. Friend, don't leave here tonight until you know for sure that you're saved and your sins are forgiven. Hey, look, you can do your best. You can work really hard. You might even receive some of God's blessings that you can steward and give to other people. But if you do all those things but you've never been saved, it's all for nothing because the things of this life will pass away one day and you'll stand before God and you'll have to give an account of your life. If there's never been a time, a date, a place where you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, know this. You've sinned against a holy God and I have too that God's judgment is coming one day and you'll stand before God and you'll be cast into hell because of your sin. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. But God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sins so that you don't have to go to hell so that you can be forgiven. But you must put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as Savior. And if you've never done that, tonight's your opportunity. 
That's not how to join this church. It's not how to become a Baptist. It's how to know for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. And friend, if you're here tonight, you don't know for sure that you're saved, stop by and talk to me on your way out. I'd love to have somebody sit down with you, a guy with a guy, a lady with a lady, tell you how you can know for sure that heaven is your home and know for sure that you can be saved. But if you're here tonight and you say, no, no, pastor, I'm saved, I'm born again, good. This is your opportunity this week to use the work that you do to point other people to Jesus. Do what you do and do it well. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.